0: And welcome to this Novak Now edition for a Monday, June 25th. I'm your host, Jake Novak. Hey, follow me on Twitter if you can, uh, so you can get all the kind of news and, and issues that I bring up uh, all the time. You don't have to wait just for Mondays. Uh, I'm at Jake Jake, N-Y, J-A-K-E, twice Jake, Jake, N-Y, at Jake Jake N Y, and that's on Twitter. And uh, it's a good thing that I'm talking about Twitter right off the bat here, because I have been uh, lucky enough to be getting videos and other information from Iranian resistance groups for the last several months. Uh, This is a network of Iranians both in Iran, and outside of Iran, who are opposed to the regime, want to normalize Iran, want to improve relations with the West and Israel and the whole thing. And lately they have been, via Twitter and other internet services, sending out videos of these continuing protests in Iran. Now if you are one of those folks. Who thought that the Iranian protests ended sometime around January, you know, with the women protesting, taking off their head coverings and a few other economic-based protests. That's not true. Just the news media got tired of covering it, or they were pushed away from doing it. And those protests never really ended. They've been spreading across the country. And today, if you go on my Twitter feed at Jake Jake New York at NY, at Jake Jake NY, you're gonna see some very, very fascinating video, especially if you understand Farsi. Because the crowds in Iran today are chanting things like death to the dictator. They mean their supreme leader, Khamenei, Ali Khamenei. But today they also added something very interesting to their repertoire. They added death to Palestine. Not death to Israel, not death to the United States, but death to Palestine. And yet this is yet another example of how the Iranian people now in the streets are starting to show their resentment towards Iran's funding and aiding of foreign wars and foreign paramilitary uh movements we know about hezbollah we know that iran of course supports the houthis and we know that they support hamas and right now hamas really is only getting money from iran through through qatar and and there's some other sources too but mostly it's just coming from iran and the iranian people want that money to stay home I mean, the ironic thing about the Iran deal and all those tens of billions of dollars, probably more than a hundred billion dollars that went back to the Iranian regime as part of that deal before they even did anything really, is that the the, the fear was, well, you know, this will uh, prop up the regime because they'll give the money to the people, the poor and lower middle classes, and then they'll get popular support. Well, they didn't, they, as most people actually, who really know the situation, Predicted the money just went to their military and their terrorist um, ends, and not to the people. And the people know about it. They're not stupid. The Iranian people uh, are still not that far removed from a time when they were one of the most highly educated, if not if not the most highly educated, uh, Muslim population in the world. And they're just not going to take this. So go on that Twitter feed. You can find I, I post videos like this almost every day because I get them almost every day. Um, over and over again, I've had them verified. I've actually been getting videos like this for a long time, but only on a regular basis since the last couple of months. But over the years, as far back as 2012, I've been getting videos like this and every single time they've been verified every single time. So I I feel very confident. I feel more confident about showing video from these sources than from a lot of American news media outlets. And I don't mean that as a joke. Speaking of American news media outlets, this is one that you can trust. This is the Novak now on the Nachum Siegel network. I'm your host, Jake Novak. Just wanted to start with that breaking news because that is a very interesting result coming out of Iran right now. And you can see that on my Twitter feed, at Jake, Jake, NY. Another couple of items of semi-breaking news right now. Um, My buddy's over at I-24 News, I-24 Network, which is a a news network out of Israel. They also have an outlet in Paris. Um, I-24 is owned by a company who's owned by uh, a French, uh, Moroccan French Jew. And I-24 is actually run by a Swiss French Jew. He's the CEO, Frank Blavool. So it's a very interesting network. And uh, you know, shameless plug on my part, I, Jake Novak, show up on I-24 usually at least once a week. I come on every Thursday night, but sometimes more than that, depending on the news. Anyway, my my buddies over at I-24 have broken the news that the Trump administration has quietly frozen all funding to the Palestinian authority for a few weeks now. Now, this is something that a lot of Jewish organizations, pro-Israel organizations have been asking for. And of course, this was put into law in the Taylor Force law that had not expected to go in effect yet, it hasn't completely passed, you, you know, the, the bureaucratic deal. But apparently, the money has stopped flowing to the Palestinian Authority. Another example, similar to Iran, that gets money for, that could be used for humanitarian needs. And, and again, it, it's really a, a foolish use of the, of the money. If the Palestinian Authority would use this money to improve their own infrastructure, improve the lives of their own people, they would win every election and they would be very popular. The, the, the support for Hamas doesn't just come from straight up hatred of Israel, though that's a big po- part of it, of course, of course. But Hamas also gives money to certain people at certain times, not only for terrorist activities. They do all kinds of shenanigans like this. Hezbollah does this too. They act like a uh, welfare organization. Again, occasionally, occasionally. Sometimes the money runs out In fact, pro- often it runs out for this kind of thing. The, the first priority is always weapons and, and military stuff. But if the PA, the Palestinian Authority, would just use their money for for the proper goals instead of all the the nonsense that they use it for, most of it is probably even stolen. I don't even think the PA even uses most of it for terrorist activity. I think they just steal it. The leaders steal it, which is a problem with foreign aid of all kinds. It's not just to to Palestinians. Anyhow, so the the folks at I-24 breaking the news yesterday that U.S. funding to the Palestinian Authority has been frozen. And another story that you may not have heard, just to get you completely up to date, Jared Kushner, president's son-in-law and presidential advisor, has been over in Israel, and I believe Saudi Arabia as well, working on a peace plan, uh, putting together a a peace plan for the Israelis and the Palestinians. And yesterday, he just kind of lost it on Mahmoud Abbas. He publicly said Abbas, the, again, president of the Palestinian Authority, is not interested in peace, not really going to be a partner. He's still offering him to be a partner in it. Uh, But what he said yesterday, Kushner said yesterday, is that hey, we're going ahead with this peace process with or without you. And you know, that would have been a kind of a silly thing to say two years ago. But now with Saudi Arabia very much on the side of Israel on these kinds of matters, it appears to be at least, uh, perhaps there's another peace partner, another leader that the Palestinian people can be absorbed by, who knows? So we'll keep you up to date on that. But some interesting developments. I I would call these fascinating and really actually positive developments. OK, to, to lead off Novak now today, just with a couple of breaking news and somewhat breaking news and, and another somewhat breaking news item in that we have people on the streets of Iran now chanting death to Palestine because they're sick of Iran using all their money on Hamas and other foreign paramilitary efforts. We have a freezing of the U.S. funding to the Palestinian Authority and we have a political th- thumb in the eye of the Palestinian Authority with Jared Kushner saying, hey, to Mahmoud Abbas, you're not serious. And we're not really interested in continuing a peace process with you. If you're not serious, we'll just go on without you. So again, that's the start of of your Monday on on news that's catching my end and should probably catch yours here on Novak Now on the Malcolm Siegel Network. So let's get to my two main topics though for today, because uh, one is a continuation of last week. I wish I I weren't continuing it, but of course, a couple of things have happened to make it very, very necessary. Uh, And that is... More and more discussion of what's going on at the United States southern border, and what has become an eerie, eerie similarity in the last week between the coverage of our situation at the United States southern border and the coverage we've seen for really going on about 40 years of the Israeli-Palestinian situation. There's a similarity, and it's not a good one. And I will finish up today with some personal remembrances of the great, great editorial columnist and thinker, Dr. Charles Krauthammer, and. relate to you a a, a very personal experience I had with him about 11 years ago and something uh, that he said both that night and also in his last book that has haunted me ever since because I think he's right and I don't think it's a good thing but I think he was exactly right about something that he said so I'll get to that as we finish today's edition but let's start with our situation at the southern border and the continuing hysteria over the US policy of separating the adults who bring the children to the border illegally. And again, they're not coming to a port of entry. This is not a bunch of people coming to an official immigration point and then being told by immigration officials, hey, give up all your children, you may never see them again. That's not what's happening here. These are people who are coming to illegal breaches in the border, trying to breach the border, either actual holes in a wall or places where there is no wall, hoping to get through. They are caught by border security, And then they are processed in that way. So first off, you may have noticed I did not say children and their parents, because we understand that there may be up to 30 to 40 percent of these children being brought into the country by adults who are not their parents. Boy, that kind of changes the story, doesn't it? I would think so. A lot of these people bringing the children into the country are human traffickers, And we know for a fact that the Obama administration, when it was doing its catch and release thing, they were separating children from adults too, but sometimes they would also catch and release. We know that very often they were releasing these children into the hands of human traffickers and God knows what happened to them. And this is my way of saying to all the folks who I continue to hear this argument, both in the news media, the social media, and on word of mouth, I keep hearing people saying, well, we have to side on the on the side of compassion. We have to err on the side of compassion. Yes, we want strong borders. I understand, Jake. You've been studying this for 20 years. I used to work next to Lou Dobbs, so I, I constantly had border people coming and talking to us about stuff, okay? I've been doing this for about 20 years following that, and we know you know a lot more about it, and you know, yada, yada, but don't you wanna err on the side of compassion? And the answer is absolutely yes. And let me explain to you why the policy that we must continue to enforce at the border despite whatever backing down President Trump did last week, is the most compassionate policy. Let me say that again. Separating children from the adults who bring them to the border illegally is the most compassionate policy. Anything else is irresponsible and not compassionate. And let me explain why. I know this is a shocker, right? The the, the left is always the most compassionate and the right is always more strong and rigid, right? Right? Wrong. Okay? This is one of the biggest problems conservatives you know, call them Republicans, although Republicans and conservatives are no longer synonymous in my book. But this is one of the biggest problems conservatives have both in the United States and in Israel. They are unable to articulate why their policy is not only the smartest, but the most compassionate. So let me do that for you. Let me do that for you and explain why. First off, the first reason I just said a moment ago, it is most compassionate to separate children from adults who bring them to the border because there's a good chance that almost half of them aren't their darn parents. Okay? We don't keep children in the custody of people, not only people who have committed a crime, but of people who may not be their parents without the parent's permission or without any kind of written documents. And in a lot of cases, the parents may indeed have agreed to allow these coyotes. That's the term for people who bring people over the border illegally. It's possible that they agreed to do so, but we don't have any paperwork or proof. We have no way to know this. Okay? And sometimes it is a parent who's bringing the child over the border illegally, but... It's a mother or father who's leaving the, the, the spouse, taking one of the children away without knowing them. And this is going to become very important when I discuss something else in a few minutes because the very big immigration story, the, the symbol of the whole movement this week was one of those kinds of stories, a, a broken up family, and I'll explain that in a second. So again, it's compassionate for that reason because we don't allow adults who are traveling with children with no proof that they're the parents to stay with those children indefinitely. That's not how it works. Okay, second thing is, have you ever heard of child endangerment laws? I'm sure you have. have. you ever you know we've all hear every once in a while there's a drunk driver, man or woman, and they pull them over, and to everyone's shock, there's a, there's a baby in the back seat for God's sakes. And it's so frustrating and frightening. And you better believe that that parent is separated from the child for a pretty long time when that happens, sometimes indefinitely. Let me tell you something. Bringing a child across the border from Honduras through Mexico, wherever you're coming from, is much more dangerous than driving with a little buzz with a kid and strapped in a decent car seat. It's much more dangerous than that. So even if you are the child's parent, you have shown an undeniable endangering characteristic. You, you, you have put that child in undeniable danger for God knows how long, and that's what you've done. And, and as someone who has shown without any shadow of a doubt that you have put this child in danger, yeah, you're separated from the child. It could be indefinitely. It may not be indefinitely, but that's the way it works. And let me tell you the third reason why we have to, and it is the most compassionate policy to separate children and adults who come to the border together. Because when we put them in a holding facility, if you want to call it a holding facility, a detention center, some of these places are not so bad, by the way, and certainly are a lot better than where they've been living for the last several months if they've been making the crossing, and sometimes where they've been living even in the years before they decided to make the crossing to the United States, but that's neither here nor there. But when you detain people in a building or center or or refugee camp, you don't keep the adults and the children in the same place. Okay, this is just detention center, prison guard, whatever you want to call it, 101. You don't do that. Homeless shelter, you just do don't do it. It's dangerous for the children. Adults. Unsupervised, if you're not supervising them at every moment of the of the day, some other adult from another group can walk over and abuse the child, take the child. This is something that is not a out of the ordinary situation. For the children's protection, we separate the adults and children while they're in detention. That's what happens. Okay, this is for the compassionate care of the child. Understand that. Please understand that. And just because the Trump administration is unable to, to articulate it, there's a lot of things they don't articulate well. There's some things they articulate extremely well, but not this this they haven't articulated that well. But for the most compassionate reasons, this is why this policy is the way it is. And I'll throw in a fourth reason. The fourth reason is, we we, everyone knows in the world that we have relatively open borders. We have breach in our border in so many different places. And it acts as an advertisement to the world. Hey, come cross the border illegally, maybe you'll get a job, maybe you'll get onto welfare. And don't think I'm making that up. More than 50% of all immigrants, both legal and illegal, are on some form of US welfare. So this is not some kind of racist, made up kind of argument. It's just true. And this is something that attracts illegal aliens. And we have to turn this magnet off, because the trip to the United States for these families, if they are families or adults with children, is too dangerous. It's not compassionate to children to attract them to this country, and God knows what happens to them, even if our borders were completely open. We cannot do that. So sure enough, like I spoke about it last week, a bunch of rabbis, sadly, none of whom who know really anything about the border, know anything about this situation, other than what they see on TV and the emotional pictures and sounds, have all over the country in the last week, and there was plenty of people telling me that their rabbis talked about it in their sermons, Crying about how this was an out of compassionate policy, and we must do better. Yada yada yada. Again, because they don't know the situation, because they're ignorant of what real compassion is at the border, and because they're fooled by everything that goes on in the news. So, <laughs> we, we've come to this point once again. But something really, really caught, really, really caught a nerve with me over the weekend. Over the week, sorry that I really think, I would really hope that, that more astute Jews of all movements would, would, would notice. Of course, almost none of them did. Maybe none of them did. Maybe it was just me. But you'll know that, of course, by now you've probably seen that picture on the cover of Time magazine of the crying toddler two-year-old girl superimposed next to a picture of President Trump looking down on her. And of course, it turned out, lo and behold, that girl was not separated from her mother, even though that was the connotation of the picture. That was what everyone was led to believe for days. Time magazine issued a correction saying, oh, well, we didn't mean to say she was separated from her mother. She wasn't separated from her mother. Sorry. But and here's the quote, the we're not getting rid of the cover or the story because uh, the story captures the stakes of what's going on at the border, whatever in the heck that means. I have no idea what that means when you have a phony picture with a false connotation capturing the stakes. I mean, is this a poker game? I'm not really sure what they meant by stakes. I'm not sure what they meant by capture. It was just, it was just a cowardly thing by Time Magazine. But boy, did that dredge up memories for me. And I hope it does for you if you've been following the situation in Israel over the last 30, 40 years. I hope it conjures up memories for all of us of the Muhammad al-Dura incident. If you remember, Mohammed al-Dur was a 12-year-old boy in the year 2000 when the Second Intifada began, and his picture with his father cradling him during what looked like a crossfire between Israeli troops and Palestinians in in the year 2000. It was on the cover of the Times. It was on the cover of magazines. It was on cover of every single European newspaper, of course. It was in the news. And it really looked like that boy had been shot and killed, and the father was cradling his 12-year-old boy. And of course, the story continued to assert that it was the Israeli troops who killed him whether by accident or on purpose, nobody seemed to know. And unlike this situation here with the Time magazine picture, where it only took a couple of days for the truth to come out, it took many, many years for the truth to come out. And here's the truth. Mohammed Al Dura, 12 years old at the time, now presumably about 30 or 31, wasn't shot. Now, I didn't say he wasn't shot by the Israelis. He wasn't shot, period. He was not shot. He may not have even been injured. It was a staged photo, a staged incident, and the world fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And should I say, not just the world, but the news media. And this is the same news media, give or take, that's been covering the southern border situation. And just like the southern border situation, the victims of terror are never, ever depicted. Just like the victims of illegal aliens are never depicted in the news, or the victims of people who live in towns that have been overrun by illegal aliens emergency rooms and schools and other social services. You, don't, you never see this story, only in ultra right-wing, right-wing media outlets do you see it, and sometimes they don't do such a great job of it. When was the last time you really saw a lot of depictions outside of some kind of orthodox publication about the victims of terror in Israel? You just don't, you don't see that. You don't see the effects. It's all about the Palestinians and what they're going through. The history of the situation that caused this problem at the border is never, ever discussed. You don't see them. This, this situation at our southern border has been going on for 60-plus years. This is an issue in the Eisenhower administration. Okay? And President Eisenhower actually took care of the situation by forcibly, forcibly deporting people, which kept a chilling effect on illegal immigration for really another 20 years. It worked. okay? But we can discuss the pros and cons at another time. When was the last time you heard that in the news media? You never heard it. Okay? You never heard it. And you don't hear the real history of the Palestinian situation and the real history of the Israeli-Palestinian situation. You just don't. Okay, so very, very eerie connections. And what I'm hoping all of the Jewish listeners out there who know how unfair the coverage, the media coverage of Israel is and know how it leads to misconceptions about Israel and know how it promotes untruths. I ask you very, very strongly to not only consider how the same methods are being used in this border story at our Southern border, but so many other stories, okay? This is not unique to just the border and just the Israel coverage. But I ask you very much to, to watch for it and notice the similarities. And it isn't one of those cases, well, it's right here when they cover at the border, but not right when they cover it as Look at it very carefully. When you don't have your facts, you don't have your history, and you're playing up to emotions in news above those facts in history, it's wrong. It doesn't matter who you're talking about. So search, search your own beliefs in certain things and certain conclusions that you may have come to. When it comes to the southern border, when it comes to, I'm going to, lead, I'm going to throw out some other issues, when it comes to gun control, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to other kinds of political issues in this country, have you fallen for the kinds of media tactics to lead you to your conclusions politically that other people probably have fallen for when it comes to zero coverage? Ask yourself that question and look it over. And don't be ashamed if you have, because you're not alone. Again, you're listening to Novak Now here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Jake Novak. Follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. As I said at the top of the show, I have some interesting breaking news out of Iran that I would like all of you to see on my Twitter feed, so please go check that out at the end of this program, just a few minutes left. But I wanted to finish today with some thoughts on the really great columnist, great American thinker Charles Krautheimer, who, who passed away last week. Uh, I know you've probably seen a lot of stories about him, and I don't want to add or to repeat anything that you've heard before, so let me talk about two things that he said that I think are you're going to that are going to be unique, I think, to this program. I think unique to Novak now and unique to me. The first thing is about eleven years ago, I had the great privilege of spending a, a really, a really long and and at night with with Mr. Krauthammer, Dr. Krauthammer, in with a small small group. It was really only about six or seven other people. He spoke to a larger group in a Manhattan apartment on Fifth Avenue of about. 40 people, and then there was a dinner of about 10 people, and I was lucky to be at both of those events. This is about 11 years ago. And I was there through the generosity of a friend of mine who made the big donation to get a spot there. He didn't go, he sent me, and that was just a a really nice thing that 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 friend of mine did. Anyway, a couple of things really jumped out at me about that evening. The first is when Charles Krafthammer spoke, and he spoke mostly about two things he spoke about the upcoming 2008 presidential election and he also talked about what he believed, and and he was really, really right about this next thing that he spoke about. He believed that the real real separation, the real divide between Sunni and Shia Muslims in the Middle East was about to flare up once again, not that it ever stopped flaring up, but that it was about to hit another high crescendo, and that the United States would be forced to try to forge better alliances with the Sunni Muslims, who are more likely to be cooperative. And boy, is that come to fruition in the past year, especially. I mean, with Saudi Arabia being the best example, really, really normalizing relationships and improving relationships with the United States, and of course, creating a de facto relationship with Israel that continues to find build new bridges between the two countries. Again, we have to be very, very cautious. You've heard me talking about this on this program here on Novak Now about how you have to be cautious about this, but still, really nice news. Really nice news that Israel and Saudi Arabia seem to be cooperating 100% militarily they seem to be cooperating 100% on intelligence, and they're starting to cooperate on more than just that. There's, there's some economic cooperation, and the Palestinians are getting less and less, if, at, if down no support from the Palestinians, from, from the Saudi Arabians. So that's what he talked about. And one of the things that, you know, so you notice what he said was just brilliant, but I had to tell you about once every minute when Charles Krathammer was speaking, he had to stop, he turned away. And he was wincing in absolute pain. And later on, I found out that this was basically what he did every single day of his life. He was in almost constant pain. Those of you who know his story, while he was basically a medical student at Harvard Medical School, he jumped off a diving board, hit his head at the wrong angle at the bottom of the pool, and became paralyzed from the waist down. Very, very sad story, but a very uplifting story in that the dean of Harvard Medical School Absolutely did whatever he could to make sure that Charles could return to school and finish school. I mean, this was 1970, mid 1970s. They didn't have ramps and elevators and things for people with with disabilities, but he made sure that all those things were available to him. He graduated, went on to be trained as a psychiatrist. And for those of you who know the medical profession, that is not an easy uh, path to take. You really need to be a top, top student to become a a psychiatrist. And he went on to uh, become someone who was actually treating people as a psychiatrist for a short period of time. But he was interested in politics. But through this all, not just the paralysis that, was, that was, a, was an obstacle to him, he was living in real serious pain. He was living in real serious pain. So when you hear about all these celebrities who are taking their own lives and you hear about other stuff, you know that it's a real illness. Because when people have that frame of mind, that strong frame of mind to live and to go through obstacles, they, they will do it. They will do it. So Charles Krauthammer was a real inspiration on that level. But I want to finish with something that Charles Krauthammer said that night and said in his book, uh, his last book that really haunted me ever since, because I think it's true. You know, the obvious question you want to ask about someone to somebody like Krauthammer is like, hey, you, 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 you were a doctor. Okay, you had that accident, but you, you were working as a psychoanalyst. I mean, you make a pretty nice living, and that's pretty high up on the medical level. What, what, why would you want to go into politics and go to Washington and work for, first he worked for Vice President Mondale, and then he became more conservative, became a conservative columnist, et cetera, et cetera. Why would you do that? And he just said, I realized very early on that no matter what field you, you take in, no matter what interests you in life, politics will eventually dominate it. So I might as well get involved in politics. And you know, it's hard to argue with him. Let's just talk about science for a second. Are our, our abortion laws in this country based on science? Has anyone really scientifically proven when life begins? Has anyone scientifically proven that a three-month-old fetus doesn't feel any pain I, I mean, it's not science that dictates our abortion laws, our, our laws of life and death. It's politics. And the fact that there are politicians who want to pass laws now that will have no restrictions on abortion, Hey, have an abortion at nine months. There are politicians. And right now, and I'm not just talking about fringe people. I'm talking about people who are elected to the U.S. Congress who would vote tomorrow for an abortion bill that would allow abortion in the ninth month. OK, don't be don't be shocked by this. You can look it up. Is science the reason that they're making this decision? Of course not. It's politics. In the arts, do plays that get funded by the government or plays, or, 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 or issues that we see in plays have nothing to do with politics? They have everything to do with politics. Does religion really live free from politics? Of course it doesn't. <laughs> Did you listen to the beginning of my show and I was talking about the rabbis making these ill-informed, politically biased positions on the border, on our southern border situation? Religion is not in any way immune to politics. In fact, it's, it's sometimes joined at the hip with politics. And that makes me sad, because I want my religion and my art and my science to be independent of the pettiness and the stupidity that you see in politics all the time. But good luck. Good luck. And you know what? I didn't necessarily need Charles Krauthammer to tell me that. If you read the story of the prophet Samuel and King Saul, and for my yeshivish listeners, Shmuel Anavi and Melech Shaul. When the people want a king, and they're, and they're clamoring for Saul to be their king, and Samuel's telling them, no, 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 politics will get in the way of your, of your obedience to God, and politics will get in the way of your observance of the commandments. And by the way, King Saul can't do those things for you. Don't expect the king to repent for you and do your work for you. And the people say, no, no, we want a king anyway. And God kind of relents and allows them to have a king, much to Samuel's chagrin. But in other words, we've known for about 3,000 years, at least, at least in the Jewish world, that politics does get involved in everything and can even, even, even poison the relationship we have with God. It's a shame Charles Krauthammer was right. He was an inspiring person, but he leaves me with a haunting, haunting message that I just can't get out of my head. I hope that his inspiration will, will really outshine that haunting warning that he gave us because it, both of them were really quite impressive. This has been Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now. I hope you'll join me next week here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Have a great week. Thank you